Like Tommy said, my name is Ryan. This is my beautiful bride, Callie, who isn't up here enough on Wednesday nights. Nope. Everyone say hi to Callie. Hi. Hey, here's one of the things I want you to know is that if you know my wife, you know this is true. Like, um, everybody loves her more than me. And so if you enjoy me at all, um, you're missing out because you don't know my sweet bride. And we have three kiddos. We got married in 2006. There's us as young kids. There's Callie with a collarbone, guys. <laughs> she had one. And there's, we got kiddos after the wedding day. And there they are. Um, they're right. Davey is nine. Evie Lee is seven. And little Ryan, we call him Bubby. Bubby. He's four. And so we, we have a blast together. And so tonight we're going to be talking about um, what can be a really difficult uh, subject and lesson in re-engage. It's just the idea of confession and forgiveness. And you should have received a handout when you came in. And so we're going to, the first half of our talk, we're going to share a little bit of our story. And then we'll get to the handout afterwards. Um, but this is just a really good thing for us to get a chance to walk through. And we've noticed kind of in this area in our own marriage and marriages of friends and people we love that in this area, people get hung up kind of in one of two areas with forgiveness and confession. Either you are the victim and you may have a really hard time getting to a place where you feel like you can forgive. Maybe the other person doesn't seem to deserve your forgiveness or you're the offender and you struggle with actually practicing true biblical confession. And so to help illustrate tonight's topic, it's just a joy to share a part of our story with you all. And I want you to know that tonight we do kind of shine a light a little bit more on Ryan's struggles, but honeys, we could be here for five hours about the mess that is over on this side. So just, I feel very passionate about letting you know that ahead of time, go check out my testimony at some point. It's in more places than I wish it would be. So, um, but I just wanted to tell you that as we get started. Well, as I think about my life, a good portion of it, I was really prideful and, and worshiped what others thought of me. And this led me to manage my reputation and hide my sins and destructive secret habits from others and then highlight my strengths. Looking good on the outside while knowing I was living a double life in so many different ways. And David talks about this in Psalm 32 where he says, when I kept silent about my sin, my bones wasted away, um, away in my groaning all day long. For day and night, God, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. And this verse describes um, my life as, as I battled an addiction with lust, pornography, and masturbation, which totally robbed me uh, for so many years of the abundant life that God wanted for me. See, I trusted Christ when I was 11 years old, and a few years later, I was introduced to pornography uh, through some friends and became quickly addicted to it. Um, and this was an addiction that consumed me over the next two decades. And then kind of moving into college during my senior year, it was the first time as I started joining up with a small group of guys where I actually heard people confess uh, the sin of pornography, lust, and masturbation. I'd never heard people share that before. But even while we were sharing, um, it was very vague. Just the way that we were discipled and taught how to confess our sins, it was in a very vague nature. And typically, um, what you would do is you would share enough with the group to kind of appease the group that they knew that, hey, you did something you shouldn't have done, and we'll kind of assume that it was masturbation, but you weren't specific about it. Um, and so I started continuing on in this habit of making poor choices, 
um, and then giving general phrases like, I've been struggling lately, or I messed up this past week. And this pattern of giving into temptation and then giving really half-hearted um, confessions continued after into college and all the way into my marriage as well, which brought a lot of guilt and shame to me and a lot of pain to my wife. And, and all those half-hearted confessions or, or half-truths, when it pertains to sin, it's really deception and it's lies. And that deception was completely out of a worship of what my wife and what others thought of me. So Ryan first confided in me about his past and current struggles with lust and pornography about two weeks before we got married. And um, I I was so naive and quite a bit self-righteous that I, I really almost considered sending him packing, which truly to this day just absolutely grieves my heart. Here was a man who is coming to me hat in hand, willing to go, this is all of me. This is who I am. Do you love me anyway? And, and I considered not loving him. And, and that makes me sad because I had even spent on my own 10 years in bondage to my own sin struggles with lust. And I had only recently experienced freedom through biblical confession and forgiveness myself. And so how hypocritical of me, how hungrily did I accept the grace and the mercy of God as it pertained to my life, yet I couldn't find it in my heart to extend it to him. So the gospel was not being lived out in the way that I received this information. That's not the best way to start building a home where it's going to be like safe to fail, which was something that I wanted to be such a banner over our marriage. And I think as Ryan said, much more than the actual sin of pornography, um, for me, it was just the half truths and the lies that broke my heart and the distrust that that created. And that sometimes it would take hours or even several days just to get the full story. And I felt alone and I had to fight that urge to just control how to not make his sin my responsibility. And if you daughters of Eve know that that is right where we go. Like if no one else is going to about it, care about his righteousness, then I sure as hell am. Like I'll just take over it at all. And that's not a healthy place to be eat. Excuse me for saying hell. I'm sorry, <laughs> but that's how I felt. And, um, I can just imagine sitting in a room. There was at one point where we were sitting in a room similar to this. And I remember people talking about struggles with pornography and they would like smile at each other while they were talking about it. And I, I just remember thinking, that kind of healing is impossible. And what I want to tell you tonight is it's not, and it is possible with the Lord. And it took a long time for me to learn that the toxic way that I was thinking was only going to bring more pain and more hurt into our marriage. I was not God and I needed to stop trying to be. And so are there consequences? Yes, absolutely. Like I have had extra love in many parts of my body for as long as I can remember. And I just immediately went to the thought of if I were thinner, he wouldn't struggle. If I were prettier, he wouldn't struggle. And a very sweet friend who's in this room tonight looked at me in the eyes and was like, Callie, it's not about you. And I remember being quite angry at him for a good amount of time. But on this side, he was so right. Our sin is not about how we respond to each other. It's about the fact that we're not letting God be enough. Mm -hmm. And you are beautiful. Oh, stop it. Mm -hmm. Sexy. Thank you. (laughs) So four years into our marriage, I was finally worn out. I was heavy with the weight of my sin and deception on me. And I finally came clean. I confessed fully to my wife and the couples in our small group here at Watermark of what had really been going on over the past few years. Then I humbly asked their forgiveness, um, not just for the poor choices that I made with with pornography and masturbation, uh, 
um, but for the lies and the deception in the midst of their accountability. And they met me with grace, compassion, forgiveness, and they also loved me with the truth and needed next steps for me to experience healing. Next steps for me looked like boundaries uh, to help me fight and then recovery to get to the heart of my struggle. And boundaries um, included putting you know, major restraints on internet access, making sure I didn't have internet access at home. Um, I even, uh, I didn't bring it. I have a, a dumb phone. I don't know what you call them, but it's not a smartphone. Um, you know, the phones that you used to have before you had iPhones. And so I remember going and getting that and texting my wife in community group that I got it. And it took me like 15 minutes to learn how to text again because you have to push one multiple times to kind of get to the different letter. I mean, and it was just, it was wearing me out, but I was like, this is what I need. And then also, you know, months later, as I transitioned onto an internship here at Watermark, um, I confessed, I shared with my new boss in the IT department, hey, here's where I've been and I don't want to be there in the future. So help make sure and protect the parameters, you know, as you're giving me a computer to actually do work. Um, And then my recovery, and really what I'd say for boundaries, they were speed bumps to slow me down. They didn't keep me from doing something stupid, but they're just speed bumps to slow me down to allow time for the spirit to work. And then uh, for my recovery, that came through um, regeneration here at Watermark. And what that helped me realize is that there was something missing for me and my identity as a child of God. I trusted in the gospel, um, but I didn't realize that the gospel that once saved me when I was 11 years old, was the same gospel that I needed to save me each and every day of my life, not for eternal salvation, but to keep me from the things I didn't want to do. And so I needed to rest in the truth of the gospel every single day. And then when I make a poor choice, I need to be reminded and run back to the truth of the gospel. And and what I needed to learn is that um, coming from the perspective of what can I do to make sure he's more perfect in this struggle? What can I do to make sure he doesn't ever stumble again? That was not the goal. That was not the win. The win is for he and I, intimacy and oneness. When he fails, when I fail, that we provide a safe space for that failure and we provide a path back to reconciliation because that's what Jesus does for us. And the practice of biblical confession and forgiveness in this family has benefited every single person in this family, so much so to where the reality is, this is the best man that I know. What you see every single week at Reengage is no different than the leadership, the servant-heartedness, the kindness, uh, the giving nature that he provides for us Shoot, every day at home, every single day. He is who he is all the time. And what I love is he could have confessed to me last night that he looked at pornography and I would still be standing on this stage telling you that he is the best man that I know. Because, not because he doesn't fail, But because when he fails, he confesses, he repents, and he stinking runs the opposite direction. And that's all that I needed to be asking of him, and that's all that I need to ask of myself. Because if we believe that God's word is true, Hebrews 4.16 says, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace and help us in our time of need. And his ability to forgive my sin when I fall and when I fail has taught me that growing up loving Jesus for almost all of my life, I did not understand what forgiveness was until I experienced forgiveness through this man. And so we literally have the potential to be the hands and feet of Jesus when we forgive one another of our sin. Mm -hmm. And it's an incredibly powerful place to be that we should not take lightly. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, it is such a beautiful thing that we get to be for each other and that God wants us to be 
for each other. And so over the next few minutes, we're going to talk through that hand down and just what does it look like biblically to walk through confession in a way that honors the Lord and also forgiveness. And the re-engage curriculum in lesson five, it talks about kind of the why behind forgiveness. And in, in lesson six, it, it kind of gives you a practice in biblical confession and extending forgiveness. And it does a great job with both those. And we're going to take a deeper dive in, in what are some of the kind of hindrances for people experiencing this, some of the roadblocks for experiencing biblical confession and forgiveness in the midst of marriage and really all relationships. And it may feel hard to believe that this is a really important thing to do, to confess things even might that be in your might be in your far past or your far history, but we've got three reasons why we believe confession mm-hmm. is such a vital part of forgiveness. Yeah. The first one is uh, sin separates from, from God and others. So relationships are always the first casualty of sin, both with God and in marriage and with other people. The second one is that unconfessed sin keeps us in bondage to it. When we don't confess, um, the shame and the guilt keeps us enslaved to those poor choices. And the third one is just that confession is the first step towards freedom and intimacy. So true intimacy can really only be experienced when we're fully known, fully accepted, and fully loved, even in spite of our failures. Mm-hmm. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Mm-hmm. And y'all's sin struggle or your addiction or your poor choices, it might not be lust or pornography, but it is something. There's something that's keeping you from oneness with Jesus in a greater way and oneness in marriage. And so I want you to think about as we're walking through these steps, like what is that for you? And what does God want you to do to experience freedom and the oneness that he wants for you? And so the first step is taking a personal inventory, you know, and that's where you think through what are ways that I've hurt, disappointed, or broken trust with my spouse. And Psalm 139, 23 and 24 is such a great way to start this inventory. Lord, search me and reveal to me the sinful way that's within me and lead me to everlasting life. There's some sin within me right now that's keeping me from you and keeping me from a greater sense of oneness. What is it? And reveal it to me. So after the inventory, step two is just to confess to God. He knows it anyway, but there's something about the confession that just ushers in that forgiveness. First John 1, 9 assures us that if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Nothing's hidden from him and he loves us still. There are times where I know my child is bold faced lying to me. And so it is such a gift for me when I watch the Holy Spirit of God convict them and their face changes and they turn back around and say, mommy, I need to talk to you. And I'm not sitting back here withholding forgiveness from them. My, the, the, the words I forgive you are already on my tongue, but to watch them confess is so mm-hmm. beautiful. And so you continue that in step three, you confess to your spouse and Ryan's going to talk a little bit more about this, but I think it's also important to note. It's really important to confess to another trusted believer, someone who's in your corner, but also someone um, who is for you all as a team, who's not just going to be kind of like, um, yeah, I get it. You know, you're right. He's wrong. How could he like, I'm for you. You want someone who I want to confess to someone who's for team Nixon, not just for Callie, because I'm going to need that help to go back. Um, this might be someone in your small group, a re-engaged leader. And again, just scripture behind that. James five sixteen says, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you may be healed. Mm-hmm. And 
Um, this is a really hard thing. This doesn't ever get easier, right? This isn't something that just because we believe it to be true and believe it to be worthwhile, it's always hard. Mm-hmm. And I love Matthew six twenty one. when I'm thinking about that. It says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So sometimes we have to place our treasure in something and then we can trust that the reason and seeing the goodness behind it might come after the trust rather than before. Mm-hmm. And so as we think about practicing that third step and confessing to our spouse, I want to paint a picture of what this should look like. And so this is not something that comes naturally to us. Um, And so it's a learned skill and something we have to discipline ourselves to do. And I did it wrong for so many years. Um, And that kept me from experiencing freedom for myself personally and also for us as a couple. And so first you want to do it quickly, right? You want to keep short accounts, all right? And so a great rule of thumb is just kind of 24 hours, that you want to run to the light to confess to your spouse, to confess to other people. And you want to shine a light on that darkness. And you want to do it humbly. And what I mean by humbly is that when you are confessing your sin and asking for forgiveness, I'm not thinking about how would this affect me if Callie shared this with me. I'm trying to think about how is this affecting her? What's the damage that's being caused to her so then that can help me humbly really own it and ask her forgiveness? Not just thinking, oh, it's not that big of a deal, kind of get over it. It's like, no, no, this is, I'm asking her forgiveness for the damage that's been caused to her. And the next is authentically, being fully honest. You're the only one that can answer that question. Like, you're not hedging or managing information. You're not trying to spin it to where it sounds better. You're being authentic. And one of the things that'll help you be authentic is being specific. So confessing specifically, not graphically, but specific. And here's what I mean is that for so many years, I would confess of, hey, I've been struggling this past week, um, which could mean a number of different things. I think Christians use the word struggle in a completely wrong way. You're struggling when it's actually a struggle. When you've been owned by sin, like you, you fail, all right? So it's okay. Um, and so a better way to kind of confess is with, with lust and pornography or whatever it is, hey, on Monday night, I did a Google search and, and I was looking at inappropriate pictures of women. You know, I I clicked and went to this other website. Um, I masturbated. I didn't. And so it's being specific. Um, But graphic details um, are things you want to stay away from because it'd be harmful. Yeah, I I, I did that early on in our marriage. I think I just was trying to heap that sadness upon myself. Like, tell me more. Tell me more. But there's a reality that graphic details put images into our heart that can create roadblocks for our healing. And so you just want to be careful about how much you want to ask and how much you want to know. Yeah. And so I, with confession, you want to confess as much as the victim wants to know. Like they're the, the governor on what should be shared and what shouldn't be shared. But if you ever feel like, hey, I don't know if this is really helpful for you and helpful for our healing, widen the circle. Yeah. Involve people who love you to kind of ask the question, hey, is this something I should know about their past or what happened? Um, and allow people to help you with that. And the fourth one is ask for forgiveness. And again, you want to do that humbly, not just thinking through how this would make you feel, but what's going on for them. And so don't just say, I'm sorry, but specifically ask for forgiveness and say, honey, will you forgive me for looking at those inappropriate pictures on my computer? You know, will you forgive me for breaking trust? And I know how this has wounded you. And so you're asking for forgiveness. 
And step five is just granting forgiveness. And so we look at what's the role or responsibility of the victim when you're granting forgiveness. You have an active role. Like I've said a couple of times tonight, number one, you create a safe place. And again, you listen to their confession in humility. You listen to your confession with your sin. Mm -hmm. Listen to his confession with my sin kind of at the forefront of my mind. So, hey, I know how imperfect I am. I know how much I mess up. I'm going to remember that as I listen to how he's failed. And then it's so important to thank them for sharing. Y'all, it takes bravery to put the most vulnerable base parts of yourself out in front of another person. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a caveat to that. If you feel like your spouse is not a safe place to confess to, maybe there's been some abuse in your relationship, absolutely make it a safe place to confess. Bring someone with you, um, have someone who's going to help you hear one another, mm-hmm. um, but create a safe place. And secondly, can I say something on that? Sure. Is it, if you don't feel like it's a safe place, that's not an out. Right. All right. That's when you bring someone else in right. to be able to say, I need to confess this to my spouse, um, but I just don't know how this is going to go. So can you come with me? And, and your re-engaged leaders are great people to invite in that conversation. That was good. And then the second thing you do is you extend grace and forgiveness. And so in the midst of the hurt, we remember that Christ's grace was extended to us. And so even if we don't want to, we work towards extending that grace. You may not, there have been times in our marriage where I am being obedient to Jesus Christ himself by saying, I forgive you because nothing in this flesh wants to forgive. But remember where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so God in his kindness brings my heart around to believe in the words that sometimes I just say in obedience. And it doesn't mean that you can't later talk through your hurt or explain how what he does or what I've done affects one another. There's going to be consequences to sin, right? But it does mean I'm not allowed to use this as a weapon at a later date because Psalm 103 says Jesus forgives sins as far as east is from the West and that's how we're to forgive too. And the third one is just be on the same team against this sin. Ryan and I were talking about this today. There is an enemy out there. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's first Peter five, eight. It's not your spouse. It is Satan and he hates everything about your marriage. And so you've got an opportunity to be a part of God's healing and plan of restoration for your spouse. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to say there's a difference between forgiveness and complete reconciliation and rebuilding trust, right? Forgiveness is a choice of obedience. Reconciliation and rebuilding trust is like a wall that once it's knocked down, it takes a while to build back up and that's okay. Guys, our hope is that uh, you're already doing this or this will be a catalyst to begin moving towards a place where God wants you to be, realizing that God knows everything that you've done, even today, everything that you've done and everything you will do and he loves you. And he died for you so that you could experience freedom, forgiveness, and hope. And that your spouse, um, other believers, are able to be a part of that journey with you. And so I just say, if there's something that's going on that you haven't confessed to your spouse, if there's something that's happened 10 years ago that you haven't confessed, like today's the day. You know, tonight's the night, this this week. Do it quickly. Um, Because it's a lot easier to move towards that place of rebuilding trust when you confess rather than being caught, you know? But the other thing I want you to know is that God's grace is amazing, is that even when you, even if you're sitting in this room and you can't confess because you already were caught, God's grace can heal your relationship and heal what's happened in your marriage. And I just think in closing, 
man, Proverbs 4.18 says, the path of righteous is like the first light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the noonday. And so wherever you find yourself this evening, if you feel like, man, the sun's never going to shine on my marriage again, or if you've started taking those steps and you feel like the dawn is coming, we just want to be your cheerleaders to say, keep going, put one foot in front of the other. The Lord God who breathed the life into your body is with you and he's a part of this process and he wants healing and restoration for you both. And it takes bravery to come to a place like this. So we're really proud of you and we're thankful to get a chance to share with you. Thanks guys. Thank you.